Okay, every year people ask me what they should get their swimmer for Christmas, and I always tell them the same thing. Get a pair of drag socks made by Aquavolo. It's the perfect stocking stuffer for any swimmer. Honestly, there's no simpler training tool to build power in the water than a pair of drag socks. Go to aquavolo.com and use the code BRETT, B-R-E-T-T, at checkout and save 10%. The offer's good only through November, so order now. Okay, great pleasure. Milo Kavik, how you doing, man? I am well. I'm well. It's, it's Monday, it's cold, but uh, it's, uh, life is good. Life is good. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Yeah, we had our first rain in LA since I've been here. I moved here in June and actually saw some rain on the weekend. It was pretty crazy. I was going to ask you where you're, where you're at just because uh, you have that backdrop, but I, I know you travel a lot and you take that with you everywhere. So that's, uh, <laughs> so, so you're in LA now. Life is, life is, life is pretty good in LA. Yeah, it's not bad, man. It's not bad. It's, it's kind of, uh, I don't know whether it's because of the pandemic or, it's normal to in LA, but people aren't super friendly. You know, I came from the South and everybody says hello to you there. Everybody says good morning. Um, people are very, very friendly. It's almost like the, they're friends of yours and you've never met them before. Um, it's almost the opposite in LA. People are very standoffish. People don't say hello to you. And again, I don't know if it's just the pandemic situation where people are avoiding each other, but there does seem to be some underlying tension amongst people in LA for sure. Brett, you know, you know, uh, it's it's been uh, one of the worst years for a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people lost everything, and uh, you know, with the elections, um, I, I was actually watching Dave Chappelle Saturday Night Live uh, yesterday, and one of the things that he that he talked about in his opening was, you know, that you should never forget that uh, half of the country is is still very very upset, you know, based on the election. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, election year, pandemic, a, a lot has gone wrong. But, you know, I, I think that there there is a lot that we that we could take away from from this experience and, and moving forward. Yeah. Well, listen, I appreciate your time, man. Uh, we have known each other for a long time, but we don't know each other. So uh, I was actually doing a little bit of research on, on you and just your career and stuff like that this morning because I just haven't spent the time getting to know you as well as I could. So this is a great opportunity for people like me who, who may not know you. Now, um, I know that, look, your swim, I would say, at the 2008 Olympics in the 100 Butterfly is probably the most watched swim in, in history, I would say now, right? Um, it's not for me to say, but um, I, I do remember the FINA president. He, he mentioned you know, he mentioned to me um, that he got some numbers from, from I think it was NBC, uh, at that Olympic games that, um, that there, there, there was 30% more viewers or something like that for in swimming just for that race. And then, uh, and then a lot of the tension that kind of came from that race and went to the world championships in 2009, it, it raised the ratings for swimming. So, yeah. um, yeah, pretty exciting. Well, listen, I do know that uh, just knowing you, you're a, you're a complex character, which is which is a great thing. Um, and and you're also your story is very complex, and and especially uh, around the whole um, incident with with 2008 and and your rivalry with Michael Phelps, it is a complex kind of story for swimming, which is which is very interesting. And to be honest, I feel like we've lost some of those storylines along the way um, in the past few years. You know, we don't have those rivalries. We don't have those. Um, real connections to com- competitive um, rivalries that we used to have. And, and I love it. Um, but just in terms of who you are, like I said, I don't know you that well. I, I know you were, you were born in America, right? Yeah, I was, uh, I was born in Anaheim, California. <laughs> so, so tell me about your, your parents. Like when did they move to America and why, why did they come here? Um, it's sort of the, 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 the thing with most, you know, immigrant families, you know, they're, they're looking for a better life. And, um, and, you know, the, the former dictator of Yugoslavia, he passed away. Um, you know, he passed away and, and I feel kind of stupid, but I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was 1979. 
Mm-hmm. And, and what happens in a lot of dictatorships is uh, dictators, they don't leave a plan for the future or for a successor. And, uh, and, and in a lot of those countries, what happens is the, the politics are directly connected to the economics and, and, uh, and vice versa. And, and really what, what happens at, at the death of, you know, at the, at the, at the death of a, of a dictator, um, there, there's chaos that ensues. Uh, there, there's a lot of instability. And what my father, like a lot of people did, they, they, they left the country and, um, and you know what, what better country in the world than, than, you know, the United States to, to become whatever it is that you want to become. So, um, yeah, you know, he, he, he moved first to Canada when he, uh, he, he made a couple of bucks, uh, back in the early eighties, it was pretty easy to get, you know, a green card to the States if you were coming in and wanting to invest some money. So, uh, pretty quickly, uh, you know, I think a year or two in Canada, he, he decided he doesn't like the cold and, uh, and he came to LA for, for, uh, you know, a week or two. And he said, you know what, the sun and, and the life in LA and, and everything that, you know, surrounds California, it's, it's where I want to be. So that's where he moved. And, um, soon after that, he met my mother and, and then I was born. <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. Okay, so you're born in Anaheim, California. Uh, where are you in the family dynamic? Uh, you've got brothers and sisters. Yeah, I've uh, I've got a younger brother, um, and uh, and and I've also got a half brother. That okay. coincidentally enough, uh, you know, my 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 dad uh, he he met a woman when he first came to, came to LA for two weeks, and uh, yeah, had a good time. And twenty some years later, he found out he had another kid. So very very. <laughs> interesting story you know <laughs> wow nice okay so do you know um your other sibling yeah he uh he funny enough and this is a pretty funny story uh it was it was uh it was i think it was september of 2003 um i got a, i got a random email from from some guy asking if i if i knew of uh you know of a guy named Dushkovic, you know which is my mm-hmm. father and i said yeah i know him and you know, he found me on MSN directory. So for all of you that are young, uh, MSN directory is an old thing, but you know, uh, <laughs> it's where everybody went to meet people or to find people, mm. you know, 10 some years ago and, uh, or more than that. But yeah, like he, um, you know, he, he reached out to me looking for a guy and then I connected him with, uh, you know, with my dad and, and sure enough, um, you know, it was, it was Thanksgiving weekend that, that my dad told me and, uh, He's like, I don't know, I'm going to tell your mom. I was like, you know, dad, it was kind of before our family came about and, you know, <laughs> you yeah. know, things happen. And, uh, and he's like, yeah, but I don't know how I'm going to tell your mom. And, you know, I was like, Hey man, I got my finals coming up. I got the European championships. <laughs> I got stuff. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a you problem. And, <laughs> and, uh, and sure enough, like two, two and a half weeks later, I go to the European champs. I set my first world record and, uh, you know, mom's elated. And he, and he uses he used this salation as an opportunity. It's like, yeah, I've got another kid too. <laughs> so that's uh, but but I met the guy, and uh, he's he's one of the best people I've ever met. Um, oh, nice. Boy, you know, very 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 great guy. Oh, that's fantastic. Time. That's fantastic. I love it. Good story. Then what turned out okay. So, <laughs> so listen. Um, well, I'm interested in this. Why didn't you? Why didn't you ever? Imp- fully embrace your Americanism? Why didn't you want to compete for America? Why, why did you want to compete for Serbia? In the beginning, um, it, was, it was just about, you know, making an Olympic team. Um, you know, one thing that people, people in this country that, that aren't of, um, you know, that don't have immigrant parents, one of the things that, you know, one of the things about immigrants is, you know, they, they did leave their country, but it doesn't, they love where they love who they are. They love where they came from, and, and very much so inside my household. Um, you know, we we were speaking Serbian. You know, like we we celebrated traditional. You know, our our, our traditions, and uh, you know, and, and very much so. It was it was it was an Eastern European mentality. Uh, you know, Serbs uh, like like all people. Uh, you know, especially from smaller countries, very very proud people. So, so very much so in, in my house, um, you know, we, we carried on as if we were living in Serbia and the second we stepped out, it was, you know, America. So, you know, uh, to, to kind of clarify it, you know, who I am, I'm an American. 
there, you know, the way I think, my mentality, my approach, uh, you know, my 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 moral system, what's right, what's wrong, it's very very American. But you know, what I am, it's it's Serbian, and uh, and I think. I think uh, you know, with with all other ethnicities, whether you're African American or, or uh, Asian American, um, you know, you, you're different. Uh, you know, where you're brought up uh, and who who brings you up, um, it, it's a little bit different than the average American experience. And um, I, I I like to think that I took the best of both worlds. Um, but you know, why why I never swam for 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 the states? Well, in the beginning, I I just wasn't good enough and. I think right before my second Olympics in 2004, uh, I, I was definitely good enough. Um, you know, back then, uh, again, I set a world record, my first world record um, in 2003. Uh, I, I wasn't good enough to qualify for the Olympic team in the in the hundred fly with Phelps and, and Crocker at that time. But in 2003, I, I made my first world championship final in the hundred freestyle uh, in Barcelona. So, if nothing else, I could have made a relay. Uh, you know, in, in hindsight, if I if I look back, if I just kind of went through the American route, I would have had I would have had a whole lot more medals, at least through relays. But um, kind of what happens is, you know, you, you you start doing something, and then the relationships that you build is why you stay. Um, you know, in, in Serbia, swimming was was a third category sport, which was getting like thirty thousand euros of, of government support. In the beginning, and uh, and after my first big medal, that 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 amount kicked up to about three hundred thousand. Now, mm. the amounts the, the the amount is entirely unimportant, but you know what what my results had done for Serbian swimming was I, I enabled for more camps for 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 more education of coaches of, of the federation. You know, we started getting sponsors, started getting attention, and and a lot of the swimmers today um, they they definitely have benefited. From, from me kind of kicking that tradition off in swimming. You know, we have Velimir Stepanovic, uh, or Velimir Stepanovic, he's swimming for, for the DC Tridents. And, um, you know, he was one of those benefactors, although he grew up in Dubai, he was a benefactor from, from the system that, that grew from, um, you know, from, from what I would like to say, I, I kind of helped move along in the beginning. Oh, that's fantastic, man. That's good. Yeah. It's nice to be able to look back and see the impact that you've had on a country, especially um, not just a, a small um, group of people, but a, but a whole nation. Um, pretty incredible. Uh, what kind of impact or relationship did, we, did you have with your father? How, how impactful was he in your life? You know, my, uh, that, that's, that's a very, very interesting dynamic. Um, you know, my, my father, he, you know, he grew up in a, in, in that socialist country and, you know, his, his upbringing, he, he sadly grew up without a father. Um, and, and for people that, you know, have one parent or, or had, had a deceased parent, it definitely has some, uh, some, it, it's definitely impacted them in, in different ways. Um, with, with my father growing up in, in that system and, and, you know, and, Back in uh, in former Yugoslavia, he grew up in the Russian side of town. You know, there was there was the western side of of, uh, of Belgrade, and then there was the there was the eastern side. So, um, you know, he grew up in that 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 um, you know that background. Sadly, without a father, and uh, you know, and growing up, um, the dynamic that we had at home was you know he because he had it rough. Uh, you know, he he definitely pressed us quite a bit and. You know, I've got a younger brother who's two years younger. He he ended up playing pro basketball in Europe. But you know, for for just saying, like you know, he's a pretty good athlete. Um, and and growing up in our household, you know, he you know my my dad he was he was he was a tough guy. You know, it was it was hard to hard hard to please. Nothing was ever good enough. Um, you know, if uh, if you weren't the best or just killing it, you know, uh, he, you would know it. Um, mm. And and it was a very very cold feeling. And, uh, you know, just kind of, I mean, back then growing up in LA, like, you know, Kobe had, uh, you know, Kobe came to LA and my dad would say a lot of times to my brothers, like, we'll see what Kobe Bryant did, like copy that, do that. And, you know, and, 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 you know, that, uh, you know, it's easy to, to try to copy something, but it, you know, it takes great talent and a great sense and, and great skill to do certain things. And, and him kind of growing up, um, not necessarily in my shadow, but behind me, with the expectations that her father had, uh, it, it was, it was just, it was tough. Um, 
yeah, I mean, just to kind of give you guys a little, little, little insight in, in, in that, like, like, I mean, I remember going to the 2004 Olympics and I was ready to win a medal back then, um, at least in the hunter fly, uh, in, in the semifinal, uh, I was, I think I was second or third in, uh, you know, going to the semis and, uh, you know, I was supposed to easily cruise in the finals where I, I was ready for, you know, we're ready to win the bronze, if nothing else. And, uh, and, and I was leading at the 50 as I had always done. But at the, at the turn, uh, those of you that remember those those kind of first generation bodysuits, especially mm-hmm. the arena power fin with the uh, power skin, which I used back then, I, I went into the wall. And when you go into the wall, you kind of bring your shoulders together, kind of like a shirt and your shirt mm-hmm. or your suit opened up and it just sucked in all this water. So I went from first by like a body length to, to last or almost last at, you know, from the 50 to the 65 meter mark, which is one of my best you know, best areas, uh, which is the underwater dolphin kick. So, uh, sadly, I, I believe I was 10th or 11th in that semifinal and I didn't proceed to the finals. Uh, but you know, kind of, uh, what, what, what followed that was, you know, my dad, he, you know, he didn't speak to me for three months. You know, he had no son. It was just, it just catastrophic. It was disappointing, you know, uh, an embarrassment. So, you know, I, growing up, I had always kind of, um, you know, I, I, I'd, uh, I'd always kind of gotten the truth. Uh, the, the much colder truth of things. And, uh, you know, uh, for better, or for worse, I, 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 I believe that, you know, his ruthlessness very early on had in many ways, in many ways damaged me uh, in, in my emotional upbringing, but at the same time, like it made me tough. Um, it would have broken a lot of people, but, you know, for me, I, I looked at it and like, you know what, what are my options? You know, I, I, I got to be good enough. This is uh, this is what his expectations are. But also, you know, out there racing Michael Klim, you know, and uh, and Jeff Hugel and, and Phelps and Crocker. Like, you know, this is just what the competition is. I, I got to be better. I got to bounce back from this. And, and, and you know, you, you got to use uh, you got to use the bad things and turn them into good. And uh, that's, that's essentially what I had to do. It's interesting. Um and as you're as you're speaking, I'm trying to think of like how, uh, how what kind of impact this would have on you as a kid, you know, in terms of uh, knowing what you did later in life and where you went in your career. Like, how did this shape you? How did this form you? And this event in 2004 obviously had an impact on you. And then, you know, going forward, you become the swimmer that you are. But what kind of impact did that have on you? Did you feel that? you kind of had to have this um, extra sense of bravado now then, you know, did you have to come out and kind of proclaim who you were and what you were going to do um, in a sense, or was that always part of who you were? In my household with, and with my brother, we were competing with in just about every matter, uh, whether, you know, we would come home from practice at the same time at one point and we would race to see who would, you know, finish dinner faster just because the winner of, uh, you know, the dinner race was able to go take a warm shower first and, you know, and, and it was just all competition. But, you know, one thing that, you know, one thing that kind of kind of speaking to what you were talking about and what was lost with, you know, with that bravado nowadays, um, I think I think one thing that that is lost is. Um, People don't say what it is that they want to do. Um, you know, I think I think one of the pioneers, at least in swimming, uh, you know, in this matter was with Gary Hall Jr. Uh, you know, he would come out in the in the American flag bathrobe, and you know, he'd start boxing, and uh, and and you know, and that was kind of exciting. It was different. You know, he got in trouble for that uh, just because he was supposed to wear the. I think I think at the time it was supposed to be like a speedo national national track suit and instead he uh you know he, he had that bathrobe but he brought some personality to a sport which was which was desperately needing some personality um you know more and more if you if you look at what boxers are doing you know uh boxers have always talked trash but the trash that that boxers talk compared to what you know what swimmers or the swimming world deems trash are, are worlds apart you know um as far as the bravado thing uh, you, you coached George Bovell and, and even before I started training with George Bovell at Cal, we, we had a thing as we were always challenging each other in workouts, you know, later on with George, I, I specifically remember at the race club in the keys, you know, we, 
at the end of workout, we, I'd be like, Hey, George, step up. I'm going to race here. And I, and, I, and when I beat you, you're going to buy me lunch. <laughs> and, uh, and it, it was a lot of that. Like it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's a lot of positive things, but what happens when you tell someone what you're going to do or that, and when you're, that you're going to defeat them is all of a sudden the stakes have risen. Yeah. And, uh, and, and not only have the stakes risen for me, but, but for George and anybody else that wanted to pop up and, and get in on this bet. So it makes it more exciting if nothing else, but I think, I think, uh, telling everybody what it is that you're going to do, um, it, it definitely raises the stakes and, and gets you more comfortable with, uh, with, with the pressure that comes in swimming, you know, in the semifinals and, and definitely in the finals, um, you know, uh, very, very much so a lot of people that go to the Olympic games, they, they are physically ready, but very, very small percentage of them are, are mentally ready for the gravity of, uh, of, of that moment and, and what it means. And, uh, and I, and I like to think that a lot of that bravado and a lot of that telling people what you're going to do, um, you know, benefited me, but you know, it, it also benefited the sport it makes things more interesting. Absolutely, man. I, I was drawn to it. And if someone, someone says something, especially, um, you know, when you get a couple of great athletes together and, and somebody comes out and says, they're going to do something that my eyes are on that. I'm like, okay, this is going to be, this is going to be fun to watch. So, you know, I interviewed Bob Bowman a few weeks ago and, and Bob said he was sitting uh, at breakfast with Michael before the hundred fly final in Beijing and had mentioned to him that you had come out in the press and said, that you were going to be the one to, to beat uh, Michael and, and stop him winning eight gold medals. Why did you feel like you needed to say that at that point in time? And is that, is that an accurate statement? Did you come out and say that? I, uh, I think it was, it was, I'm not sure if it was two months before the, uh, the U S Olympic trials in Omaha, they had a, they had like a U.S. Uh, trials um, practice competition uh, you know, they were just kind of testing everything out. And um, I think, I, I, I believe they had that test event in Omaha just because uh, the Olympic cycle before that, the, the trials were in Long Beach, California, for those, for those that remember that. But um, yeah, uh, just randomly at that event, I ran into Mel Stewart and he, uh, he I think he was with, uh, with Low Swimming or I'm not sure what he was doing back then, but, you know, he was interviewing people and and one of the things that, that, uh, you know, Mel Stewart, he had heard of me, but he, he never, you know, he never, he never really talked to me, you know, similar to yourself. And, uh, and, and he started asking me what my expectations were. And I, and I said that I was going to be the guy to slay the dragon. And, uh, and that opened his, you know, his eyes just because I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how it is with you, but a lot of interviews that are given on the pool deck there, they're so, uh, they're so monotone, you mm -hmm. know, it's, it's it's so boring it's so corporate you know there there is no soul in 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 many of the responses and 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 things that a lot of athletes are saying out there and um and for me i i've always been a pretty colorful guy uh i i'm very very excitable and 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 to this day but especially back then i, I was just i was just a kid you know enjoying what he was doing i would go to the pool to race but but just to have a really really good time and uh and, and the thing about being kind of the underdog, you know, the David versus Goliath kind of thing, like you, you can never go into a race thinking that, that you were going to lose. Uh, you know, you, you have to believe in what you have to believe in the possibility of everything in you. And, and I think if you go in, um, you know, subconsciously thinking that you're going to lose, that's exactly what's going to happen. And, uh, and for me, I'm just kind of somebody that says, Hey, uh, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to come at you with you looking me straight in the eyes. And, uh, and, and that's the way I like to fight. I like to fight squaring up and just going at you without trying to, to take some side door to the front. Um, you know, uh, I think, I think, I think it was a year later, uh, you know, I was, it was the world championships in 2009 and, uh, you know, Mike Bottom back then he, you know, we, we met on the pool deck and at that, at that world championships, he, he was with the U S uh, national team. And, and back then, especially at that, 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 that world championships, he specifically told me, he's like, Hey, Kavik, like, look, like, a, I love you. Like my son, you know, um, but I can't be seen talking to you. Uh, it's, it was kind of one of the national team rules, uh, at least at that world championships. And uh, you know, and I remember he just pulled out his Palm pilots and his Palm pilots were kind of the thing, you know, before iPhones mm -hmm. and he started, 
pretending like he was showing me his daughter's photos. You know, his daughters were still very, very young back then. But, you know, he said, listen, man, don't say anything. <laughs> you know, uh, Phelps, he gets off on this stuff. You can't say anything. Mm-hmm. You know, just uh, just try to squeeze in the finals and, you know, from lane eight, try to, try to win it all. And, uh, and I, I just look and I'm like, Mike, it's just not my style. You know, I, uh, I'm not one to, to, you know, cruise through the semifinals and say, uh, you know, tell the press or tell people that, you know, I just wasn't feeling very good or like, you know, my shoulder hurts. And you see a lot of that with, uh, with a lot of athletes, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to stay under the radar. Whereas myself and, and how I've always been, I've, I've always just come straight at you, you know, uh, and, and that's, that's the fight uh, I, I like. And, uh, and, and as a kid growing up, I'd always dreamed about this, this epic battle of, of you know, of, of two people just going at it and, and, and it not being by chance or not being lucky and, and certainly not being under the radar. You know, um, that's, not, that's not the battle of the dream that, that I had growing up. Well, I appreciate that answer, man. It's very detailed and very thoughtful and, and honest because there's, there's many different ways you could answer that. But the, the true answer is that's just who I am. You know, I, I like that. Um, look, when, when I analyze the race, there's probably, you know, 10 different things of, I, I can think of, of maybe why Michael won and, and why you lost. I, I don't know. Um, there's even some conspiracies you could throw in there as well, but like to this, sitting there right now on this day, why do you think you lost that race? I don't think I lost that race. I love that. I love that. All right. Talk me through that then. No, I mean, look, um, we can go into these conspiracies, you know, kind of, and this has nothing to do with anything. You know, this has nothing to do with Michael, you know, um, you know, I had, I had, uh, I had a very, very long finish. You know, he had a very, very short finish. Mm-hmm. You know, people, people point to, to the finish as to why, you know, the result came out, why it did. Uh, for me, you know, uh, just, just as anybody that watches football or basketball, you know, you, you know, a lot of things happen throughout a race that, 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 or, or throughout a game, um, you know, you, a missed free throw, you know, a missed pass, you know, uh, just something, things happen throughout the game, which, which are, are more of a reason the why um, you know the end result is is as it is but you know the in the beginning i specifically remember that there there were photos of, of me where i was specifically touching the wall and he wasn't there um you know and 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 again you know this it was never about attacking michael you know the guy is the greatest of all time he is the best there's ever been uh for me kind of the the one thing and the only thing that's ever bothered me throughout this whole thing was that, that it took Omega three days to kind of come up with an explanation as to why it happened as it happened. Um, and, and, and kind of the worst part of it all is, you know, they, they were his official sponsor. You know, there, there's a lot of money at the Olympics for those people that, that don't know. And, and these corporate sponsors, they have a lot of reason and you know, a lot of, and we're talking billions of reasons to, uh, to have things go their way and to have their guys be promoted. And, uh, you know, that aside, uh, you know, just kind of moving forward, uh, you know, from that day, I'd always just kind of said, like, it's not okay for, you know, for, for, for uh, an Omega, which, which in our sport for those, you know, that, that are really, really close followers of, of high level swimming, you know, Omega is still to this day, they, they hold a monopoly in the timing system. Uh, you know, why, why is the, why their timing systems never really been improved? Well, they kind of don't have any competition. And, and for one company such as them to sponsor, you know, Olympic athletes such as Michael, it is the best thing to do for them. But in these, in these strange times, uh, you know, these strange, uh, you know, races such as, such as ours was, there, there was, there, there were those photos where I was at the wall first and he wasn't, and then those photos disappeared. Um, yeah, you know, uh, and, and for the guy, I, I, I had always kind of felt bad that, you know, he was put in this position to also explain this race. You know, he, you know, he, like many people, they talk about me lifting my head or having a long finish. And, uh, you know, sure, that was, that was one part of it. Um, but at the same time, like, I, I have to, I have to say that, you know, I, I, I went into that race, I gave everything that I had, uh, 
you know, when you're, when you're in that race and you finish the race, you, you, you're not necessarily underwater looking, <laughs> you're not necessarily underwater looking, looking at the next guy, you know, you're, uh, you're, you're, you're racing your hardest and hoping that you're going to get your hands on the wall first. And at the end, it was after three days of, of coming up with a game plan, Omega said that you, you have to apply three kilograms or 7.2 pounds of force to, to activate the, uh, the, the, the touchpad. So I don't know. Um, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, it, it was an epic battle, but, you know, for me, uh, just kind of going back, one of my greatest regrets throughout, throughout my career was like being pegged to this guy, which happens to be the greatest summer of all time and never truly knowing, you know, who he was and, 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 you know, what kind of guy he, he is and, and at least never sharing a beer, um, you know, with, with all of my competitors throughout my career, I've, I've got a pretty good relationship with all of them. And, and there were times where I beat one, you know, I, I would be some of them and I would lose to some of them. And we would always kind of chalk it up at a bar or just, you know, just hanging out and just, just being like, Hey man, I got you, you know? So a lot of well, us that's are interesting. And- I mean, I, I, I want to ask you that, like what, what is your relationship with Michael Phelps? Did, did you have any prior relationship to this? And then what, what was it like after this race? Uh, I have no relationship with the guy. And, uh, and, you know, when I was, when I was, when I was in California, he was in Baltimore. Um, you know, later when I moved to, to the Keys for a year and a half, uh, he, he had moved to Michigan. And then after the Keys, I, I was in Italy and I'm not sure where he was then. You know, and uh, but but it always kind of felt like we were on the opposite sides of this country, or the opposite sides of the world. And, you know, and, and there were times where, you know, we were at the same place at the same time and there were there were available opportunities. And, you know, people that know me know, know that I'm a pretty social guy. I'd always be the one to be like, hey, man, let's go get a coffee or let's go get a beer. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. hang out, just kind of, you know, shoot the you know what and just kind of have fun. But, um, yeah. I, I, I've, I've got no idea who that man is other than what, what people read. Um, and, and, and just kind of the things that he says and, uh, that kind of, it's kind of saddens me. Well, there's, there's moments, right. And as swimmers, we know this, there's moments after the race, there's moments when you're backstage and you're getting changed and you're waiting for your medals. There's moments on the, on the dais, even at the, at the games, was there anything said in those moments? Uh, for anybody that's ever raced against Michael Phelps, uh, at least, uh, at least in, in a final, um, you know, the, the, the polar opposite of a Michael Phelps has always been like, like an Aaron Pearsall. Like this guy would always be the last guy kind of, kind of, uh, to, to the, um, you know, the ready room. And, and, you know, he was very SpongeBobish. I mean, I grew up with Aaron. So like, I, I know him, you know, I know him very, very well. And, you know, he just, uh, you know, he'd be walking around, like, you know, he'd talk to people along the way, on his way to the, uh, to the ready room. Mm-hmm. Whereas, uh, whereas Michael, in my experiences, he would always come in with his park up, uh, you know, with, with his hoodie over, you know, and, and looking downwards and he's got his, uh, you know, his headphones. And so, you know, hanging out or, or talking um, in a ready room, uh, that was always kind of just not in, not in the cards. Mm-hmm. Um you know, some very, very exciting characters in the ready room, you know, were, were Papa, you know, this guy, this guy would kind of talk trash to people just to kind of break them down before the race. And, and I always kind of respected it. I thought, I thought that was one of the coolest things about him. Like I, I heard this legendary story of him going to Fernando Scherer and just being like, Hey, Fernando, you know, you want to show me that Brazilian Mamba, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, and this is right before the final so like this guy's thinking swimming and all of a sudden, you know, pop-up sent him off in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I always just thought that was just so cool where, you know, with, with Michael, you know, he's, he's, he's in the zone. And, uh, and with a lot of people, that's kind of the thing, you know, people are nervous. And even after the uh, race, so even after he wins, like he, there's nothing said on the, on the dais as you guys are collecting your medals. Well, before you go out to the medals, like there's about like there's about five minutes. And, uh, you know, when you're sitting there, you know, people, you know, you usually from the pool, you go talk to some media and directly from the media you go to, uh, you know, you go collect your medals. So there was always a minute, five minutes where you're just kind of hanging out with someone and be like, you know, and, and especially at that race, uh, it, it just happened. You know, no one had seen the videos and, you know, you know we just race our race. And, uh, you know, there was nothing to be said about that at that moment. Um, you know, and, 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 and really with that, 
and him taking the gold in, in that race. And, you know, he, he had pretty much cemented his eight, eight gold medals mm-hmm. with his seven, just because I think the eighth one was just kind of sure, a sure yeah. bet. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just remember specifically him said that he was going to go to Mexico where he's going to go to, he was going to, he was going to go have some fun. And, and that's just about what everybody does right after, right after the Olympic games. So that was, that was that. Are you in need of a pace clock? Looking to finally upgrade those ancient analog clocks? The Swim Nerd Pace Clock is the most innovative digital pace clock. Go to swimpractice.com to check it out. Well, if you truly believe that you won, and look, you've got an incredible case, believe me. I've seen the finish too, and it looks like you won to me. But if you truly believe that, what's your relationship like with the silver medal? How how do you feel about that? Um. It's a very, very interesting question, Brett. Um, you know, I, I don't care for it. I, uh, you know, and, and, and I'm not sure that I'm not, I, I can honestly tell you that if it was a gold medal, um, that my answer would be any different just because I know who I am. And, uh, and, and maybe that's coming off arrogant and, and maybe that says something about me, but I, I, I don't, you know, all my, all my accolades, all my medals, just about all my medals, you know, like I, I don't carry anything with me. It's just kind of weight, you know, weight from my past. And it's just like, I don't need this physical thing to, 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 to know that, you know, to know who I was. And, uh, and, you know, with that, with that medal, um, you know, I, I've thought a lot of, I, I thought about a lot of things to do with it throughout the years. I, I thought about donating it to the museum of sport in Serbia. It's just like, Hey, like, you know, this, this, uh, this, this, this medal belongs to the people. And then I was like, you know what, they, they wouldn't care about that. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and then I thought about, you know, like, well, maybe, maybe donate it to the International Olympic Committee and, uh, you know, and it'll be somewhere in Switzerland. But, you know, uh, they really don't care about that. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, and, and for me, like, and, and my coach, Mike Bottom, like, you know, he, he, he doesn't know this, but, you know, in the near future, I, I thought about like b- between giving it to my son one day or giving it to, you know, to Mike Bottom, like I, I thought about giving it to my coach, you know, Mike Bottom was a flyer. He, he was one of those people that didn't get to go to the Olympic games in 1980 because of the boycott. Um, and, and, you know, for me in, in my relationship with Mike Bottom, he is very much uh, a father figure to me. I, I speak to him once a month. Um, you know, we, we've got that kind of relationship and, you know, I, I, I thought so much about giving it to him. I, I'm pretty sure we talked about it one time. And, um, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's really, it would really just kind of be a gesture of love to him saying like, Hey, like this is, this is a big part of my life. Um, but this probably wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for you. And, uh, and, and there was that. So, you know, for me and my relationship, you know, should I give it to my son one day when he's old enough to know who his father was, at least in swimming? Uh, you know, should it stay in the family or should I give it to, to my coach, you know, who I, who I love very, very much? You know, I, I don't know, but do I, do I need it? Definitely no. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, I'm ready to get rid of it, so. Mm, interesting. Well, look, there's many ways you can go with that, like you said. And I know um, from, from some experience, Rowdy Gaines actually gave one of his medals to Richard Quick and Richard cherished that thing like, like he had wanted himself. So I know that I'm sure one day that might might be very significant to, to Mike Bottom if you choose to go that way or give it to your son. And look, there's many different ways you can go, but uh, understandable that you don't have like a real strong connection with it as well. So I appreciate the honesty there as well. So, so well, let, let me get technical then. Okay, let's break down your race a little bit. Why did you go out so goddamn fast, man? You were going out like a machine. What was the intent uh, with your race strategy? I would argue that most athletes race, uh, at least race the way I race. Uh, you know, for me, uh, growing up, my philosophical sports hero and, and uh, deceased mentor has always been kind of Stephen Prefontaine. And, uh, and, and, you know, Bill Bowron back then, or just, you know, from, you know, just from everything that I read and, and know about their relationship and the way that Stephen Prefontaine ran the three mile, 
was, uh, you know, Bill, you know, he, he had spent his career trying to get free to, uh, to just to slow down, not go after it, not be a front runner. And, uh, and, and kind of how pre responded to that was the worst feeling in the world is finishing the race, uh, with, with something left in the tank. And he said, the only way that I can know that I gave everything is, is if I die at the end. The truth is a lot of athletes or a lot of sprinters, especially at that level, they, you know, we all die. I mean, everybody dies. Now the, the only difference is I, I was just much, much faster than most people. So when I go out hard, it looks a whole lot different than, than, than what it looks like for a lot of other people. Um, you know, my, 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 my easy speed is, is definitely looking a lot different than most people. Um, I, would, I, would like to, I would like to say that my stroke was pretty efficient. Uh, I didn't really carry a whole lot of air underwater. Um, you know, as far as my race strategy goes, uh, to, to kind of pull back, it would have been by force. I, I am one person who, who, who lets their, their adrenaline and what they've done in training all along, just kind of going to, to autopilot, uh, listening to the, listen to the pop-off podcast, you know, his emphasis on stroke count. I mean, it was, it was just amazing, you know, the, the science and, and just breaking everything down, like. You know, if, if you turn it into to a specifically scientific and, and analytical thing that I, that I think uh, what's lost is, is the possibility of magic and, and something beautiful happening. Uh, I had trained for that race so many times that I, I didn't necessarily care for stroke count. I mean, I, I usually took the same number of strokes, but for me, um, you know, it was, it was just about letting my body do what it does. Uh, yeah, you know, making sure that first 50 was very, very easy. That was, that was important. You know, uh, in 2009, for example, I, I was world champion in the 50 fly with the time of 2267. But then in the, in the hundred fly, I, I went out at 2269, except the only difference was that 2269 going out in the 50 of the hundred fly. Like it just felt so much easier going 2269 than it, than it did, uh, you know, going 2267. So, so again, you know, uh, in the, in the, in the 22, six, seven, it was me specifically forcefully getting through that race. Whereas, whereas in the first 50 to the hundred fly, it's just pure easy speed. Um, well, I noticed that, um, I, I noticed that in the semifinal in, in Rome, you looked gorgeous. I mean, I just watched it about an hour ago. You looked beautiful. You're actually swimming next to one of my athletes, Tyler McGill, and you were just crushing him. And Tyler is one of the best butterflies in the world at the time and uh and you are about a boat length ahead of the at the 50 and you look gorgeous you look super smooth super controlled everything looked like it was just a nice semi-final swim and, and then you break the world record i did notice the next day when you when you're next to phelps it was almost like this mentality of like i'm gonna crush this guy early and to me it looked like you tried and look in swimming we do this i've done it a thousand times so i'm not being critical here but when when the pressure is on you want to you want to go and so you just add a little bit of tension and to me it looked like you swam that first 50 with just a fraction more tension than you had the night before which then ended up costing you at the end of the race a little bit did, did you feel the same thing about that one thing's certain uh anybody who's been there uh you know i'm talking about you know a uh, uh, high pressure final um and especially if you're 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 somebody who's gonna win it or or has a chance yeah walking up to that block i mean you know the the, the air gets heavy uh you know uh everything just kind of slows down you know you you block out the sound you know you're hearing your own pulse like it's just the gravity and the way the world is on you uh, you know, that, that 50.01 in the semifinal was worlds easier than going the 49.95 that I went in the finals, you know, sure. When, uh, when the pressure is there, things, things, uh, they, they do, they do change. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot easier to, to, to race and do your thing when, when, when the stakes are, are low. Um, you know, I, I just specifically remembered that. All the way up until until that final of the 2009 race uh, in the finals. I mean, I think it was NBC uh, or ABC. I'm not sure who it was, but they were at my hotel. 
I mean, they had a family, they had a camera crew waiting for somebody to walk out of the, uh, of, of, of the elevators, uh, you know, and, and basically I jumped in the cab just because, you know, jumping in the bus and going through downtown Rome, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of a mess. So I, I got in a cabin and got to the pool pretty quick. And at the pool, somebody was, you know, there was another crew waiting for me. And, and, uh, and you know, they, they, they're basically following you and, and just watching you. And, and, you know, that's kind of another element of pressure. And, uh, you know, and, and fortunately, I was one of those people that, that took the pressure well. But, boy, it, it gets heavy. Um, and, and like I said, you know, with, with, with the weight of, of things and, and the expectations, it does get a little tough, but it's exciting. (laughs) What do you give uh, Phelps credit for? Obviously he's a great swimmer, but what are the things that you think he did really well around that period of time? Michael Phelps is, uh, is a champion of, of a lot of things. Uh, I I would say next to all the medals that he won, he, uh, he, he's, he's a champion of, of diversity. Um, you know, and one of the things that, you know, I, I, I myself dealt with a lot of adversity growing up in my life. He, he grew up without a father, um, you know, and, and, you know, he, you know, he, he, he had a, you know, he, he was drinking and driving, you know, and he was smoking weed and, you know, it's just this guy, like, you know, what people see is, you know, these, these pro athletes and other sports, they're, they're doing these things. And they look at him like he's, he's, he's choking up in life, you know, but what people don't stop and kind of give some attention to and some love to is just what that person is going through and why it is that they're, they're, they're making these choices. You know, again, whether, whether you've got a drinking problem where you're drinking a lot or, or smoking weed, you know, that's on you. That's, 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 that's a you problem. Um, the problem, you know, what, what people, you know, where it becomes a, a world problem and a societal problem and, and uh, us problem is when you get behind a wheel and, and endanger other people's lives. And, uh, and, and for that guy, you know, to deal with everything that he's gone through in his life and, and at least that I've read about and what I've heard from other people, um, you know, I, I look at that and I never judged him for anything. It's just like, man, like this guy, you know, because he's got all these problems, he's got to make it back. He's got to pull through. He's he's got to get through this, not just for himself, but for everybody else out there that that has issues and everybody's got issues. Um, you know, people that that portray themselves as perfect and, and that they've got these perfect lives and and that they are Captain America. It's 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 just all bull. Uh, everybody's got issues and 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 what what I look at him and what I give him credit for. Um, you know, other than his swimming is, is just his ability to, to get through these, these, these tough things that just sort of broken people. Um, and, and, and another thing, which, which makes him just great and better than most is uh, he, he takes uh, any, anything that he perceives as, as a threat or, or smack talking and he uses it to fuel himself. Mm. And that's, there are very few people that, that can do that. Um, you know, and you know, um, if you know where where races are won and lost is is before the race it's what happens in the ready room if you see somebody in the ready room just jittery you see their knees bouncing and their hands are doing this and they're exhaling um you know pretty quickly you you can you already know that they're done (laughs) they're 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 in a lot of trouble um i'd always told people and my athletes you know you look at look at look at track and field and, you know, you see, you know, you see Usain Bolt, you know, doing his thing and, uh, you know, you see other guys flexing and, and, uh, and, and, you know, with Gary, you know, he was, he was boxing to be funny, confident. Yes. But what I always challenge people to do is spend a moment, not to look at what their arms are doing and what their bodies do. Look at their eyes because the truth is, is found in their eyes. They're terrified. Right. And, uh, and, and I always thought that that was just kind of one of the coolest things about, uh, about high level, high level competition and, and high level moments is look at their eyes. I mean, it, it says it all They're They're scared, but they, they, there's no other place in the world that they would rather be. You know, your, your, your stories are connected and they're, they're incredible. Um, the, the, you know, he, he, he's not Michael Phelps without you and you're not him without you're not you without him. Like, it's just that there is some relationship there. I did this morning. I was like, 
on on uh on youtube like who got the bronze medal in 2008 i couldn't even i felt bad for that kid it was andrew lauderstein i found out um but like no one ever talks about that that guy uh in that race unfortunately guys if you're not following andrew lauderstein follow him right now that guy and you know within Clint. I mean, they're in better shape than ever. I mean, especially, especially Andrew. I mean, he is just ripped. But you know, this is this is a guy that that just kept going. You know, his 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 career ended pretty soon after that, and uh, but he just kept going. What motivates him is kind of what I always kind of wondered. Like, what is it about? You know, what is it that still drives you, Andrew? Uh, I, I don't work out nearly as much as I should. That guy has made working out uh, an everyday thing and more than everyday thing. It's, it's a lifestyle. And, and I wonder if it has anything to do with him being third, mm. you know, not that that is, that, that is a bad thing at all. Um, you know, but you know, he's, he's a champion in life. Uh, if, if you guys aren't following him, follow him. It's a, it's a daily dose of inspiration right there. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you saying that. He's a good man. Um, why did you decide to go into coaching after all of this? It wasn't necessarily after the, I mean, I, I started my own swim academy and my, my, my swim school uh, in Serbia uh, after 2012. Um, you know, my, my career, like I had back surgery two years before that. And, uh, and, and, and for me, it was just like, okay, well, my career is over. And one, one thing about people that know when they're going to retire ahead of time, for example, those people that are kind of projecting that they're going to finish their career at the end of the Tokyo Olympics, um, one, that, that last day is pretty terrifying. Um, going into my last race uh, in 2012, uh, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily thinking about, you know, about how I'd feel after that race. But one of the weirdest things is if you just know that, that you've, uh, you've got a date on, on the calendar uh, and, and you've given all of yourself, which I did, especially after that back surgery, it took a lot for me to come back. The most terrifying thing that I discovered after that race was usually after a race, you, you feel something, uh, whether it's anger or happiness or exhilaration, or you feel something, whatever, right? You feel something. I walked away from that race and I, I literally felt nothing. And, um, and, and, and for me, the scary thing about that nothing feeling is, uh, is, is, Five minutes ago before that race, uh, I was an athlete. Now, knowing that I'm not going to go, um, feeling nothing is a terrifying thing just because you, it's, it's an identity crisis. Mm. You know, what are you going to do with your life? You know, uh, who, are you, who are you if not an athlete? And, and a lot of athletes suffer from that. And, uh, and for me, I was like, well, you know what? Like, I, I, I don't know what to do with my life. I haven't thought that far ahead. Uh, I, I, I want to keep giving back to the country of Serbia. I want to live here. You know, when I say here, I meant in Serbia. Uh, I thought about, you know, going into politics and, uh, and having one foot in the swim game and one foot in politics, like a lot of, uh, a lot of people do, or at least, uh, you know, outside of the U S and, and, uh, and, and I opened up that school and, and the city that, that I had, uh, launched that it went bankrupt. So you know, when that city went bankrupt, um, you know, and people were losing their jobs, you know, doing business in that place was very, very difficult. And, uh, you know, I left that to try something else. I went into sales. Um, I, I discovered pretty quickly that, you know, I'm, um, I'm not, I'm not somebody that's a very good liar or, or that likes to sell smoke. Not that, not that what I was doing was that, but I, I just didn't feel good about it. I, I didn't feel like I was giving back or giving to the world and, a part of who I am has always been, uh, you know, to, to serve people, uh, you know, going into politics or the idea of going into politics was, was the ability for me to continue serving people. And, uh, and, and when I realized just how uh, fickle that game is and, 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 and what I would have to do and, and, and to sell my principles, I'm a, I'm a person, I'm a man of principle. And, uh, and for me to say something and not deliver it, it actually bothers me to the bone. Mm. Whereas coaching, uh, you know, for me, just to get into coaching, it, it's just, it's one of the most beautiful things that, that I had ever discovered. And, and for me to coach, it not only keeps me in the game, but it, it helps me be a part of someone's path and, and to change lives. Um, 
you know what's kind of cool, Brett? Um, when, we, when we were athletes, you know, when we began swimming, we did it because it was a game. Uh, when, we, when we became pretty good at it, and especially at that high level, we, we looked at swimming as a sport. We're, we're, we're in it to compete. We want to be the best in the world. Well, man, in retrospect, when we look back uh, at, at the game of swimming, we don't, we, we don't see the game as much. We don't see the sport as much. We see the teacher. And, and so, so, so much, and every day I go to practice and, and different opportunities and different moments throughout a workout and specific points of the workout, whether it's a set, you, you offer a teaching opportunity. You know, I'm giving you this set. You think that, you know, you got to do this set to get better. And, and yeah, you're, you're, you're trying to get better, but I'm giving you an opportunity to, to challenge yourself to level up, but to level up is to, to, to challenge yourself and how you feel. And, and what you get, if you do it right, is, uh, is, is you teach yourself something. You learn something. You evolve. And, uh, and, and very much so, I look back in my career and everything that I experienced in my career, and I see the teacher. And, uh, and I, and I want to give back. I, I want to I be the teacher. And I want to present teaching opportunities to my, to my athletes. That's awesome, man. And, and very similar reason why I decided to get back into or well, get into coaching as well is just to feel like I had so much knowledge and so much experience. I just, it felt unfair to go and do something else with all that experience and knowledge. Um, even, even me wanting to start this podcast, I was having conversations behind the scenes with high level people like you in terms of your experiences and your um, successes and I wasn't sharing those conversations. So I was like, man, I got to start a podcast to even just share stuff like this. So to me, I've always felt an obligation to, to give back to the community in a way. Um, I'm not special. I just felt an obligation. That's all. But um, no, no, Brett, you, you're special. There, um, there, there aren't many people like you. And that's not me just uh, throwing you a high five. You, uh, I'm glad that you took that USC opportunity. Uh, you know, you, you need to do this. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Again, it's just part of giving back and it was there. And, uh, Jeremy Kip approached me and, and, uh, said, yeah, why not? sounds interesting. You know, I'm not, I, look, I, I, uh, will, will die an Auburn tiger. That's just, that's just who I am. You know, like they gave me an opportunity in life that no one was giving me at that time and, and they shaped me and changed me. So I'll always be that person. But in terms of, um, me giving back to, to a team, it's just really, really me giving back to swimmers and swimming. And then, uh, and I love that aspect of it. So um, I'm, I'm not in this, I, I'm kind of like at the stage you're in now, I'm not in this for um, the medals necessarily. I don't need that anymore. You know um, my success with Cesar Cielo uh, very early in my career. Um, it felt good at that time. Looking back on that, like I, I'm not chasing that anymore. So, but I'm just interested in giving back. I, I love helping people, but I'll say this uh, one last thing with you now that you're a coach and uh, if you were in the situation that Mike bottom was in back in 2008 and uh, you're walking Milo Kavic to the, to the final of the hundred butterfly as his coach, what would you tell him? Mike bottom is one of those guys. Uh, you know, he, we never really had to talk about it. You know, uh, we, we had done everything that we could possibly do. Um, you know, me right before I walked to the ready room, um, you know, Mike, like he, 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 he found himself in my path, you know, from, from where our stuff was to the ready room and, uh, and ready, like, you know, I, I hugged him and I shook his hand and I said, this is it. And he, and he just, he just nodded his head. He said, this is it. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's all, uh, I think that's all a coach needs to tell a pro athlete at that moment, you know, don't complicate things. You've done this a million times, you know, just go, just go be yourself. And, uh, and one of my, one of my coolest stories, um, you know, not only from Mike bottom, but one thing that I tell, I tell athletes, uh, to this day is something that Peter Van Hoogenbaan told me the night before that Olympic final. I was in, I was in the, uh, I was, I was in the, I was in the dining hall and uh, I was eating alone and he just tapped me on my shoulder and I turned around and I was like, ah, Hoogie. And uh, he's, he said, Hey man, I know what you're thinking. I'm like, what am I thinking? He said, um, you're thinking about, you're thinking about the final tomorrow and, uh, and, and, and you're, and you're worried. And I said, yeah, 
you know, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely, I'm definitely nervous. He said, but don't, uh, don't forget why you're here. I said, what, to win? He said, no, don't forget why you started doing this. And I said, why is that? He said, because it's fun. Everything that you did all up until this moment, you did because it was fun. And you're going to go into this race because it's fun and never forget that, that, you know, this, this opportunity right now, you're going to have a whole lot of fun doing it. The whole world will be watching, but everybody wants to be in your shoes and really just thrive and live in this moment. So for me, when I, when I tell them, when I, when I meet my athletes right before some big finals and I, I just tell them like, Hey, there's no strategy to really talk about here. You know, you, you know, we've worked toward these things and all I can tell you is when you get nervous, relax and just remember why you're doing this just to begin it's fun yeah absolutely great words from from one of the legends of the sport too uh he always looked like he was having fun but he always uh, seemed to find a way to kick my ass as well so that that was probably part of the fun <laughs> but um listen man uh appreciate your uh everything you gave to the sport uh, incredible memories for me standing on deck and watching you uh i loved it and even going back and watching some of your races today brought back a lot of great memories so thank you for the experiences you gave the world of swimming um thank you for the rivalry uh, i think like i said we need more of that these days um and just thanks for your uh thoughts and introspection today i, I appreciate your openness and humbleness in, in terms of um, being honest with us so thank you for that so i uh, appreciate your time today mate guys I, I think it's the hardest thing in the world today to be yourselves be yourselves you know, it's, it's not about what people will like. Just be yourself, be comfortable in your own skin and just go out there and have fun. That's it. Thank you, Brett. Appreciate it. Thanks, Milo. Appreciate it. Take care, man.